0: Good morning, happy Resurrection Day. I saw online yesterday, um, a pastor asked, I guess his congregation or those of us who follow online, if he's allowed to wear a new pair of sneakers, you know, on, on, on Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. And this old church lady who was on the Twitter said, you better get dressed up for church prom. So I heard her, so I got dressed up for church prom. Um, This morning, though, we come to to celebrate more, right? We celebrate more than just our our, our Sunday's best, right? Our our best attire or, or what we look like. I love that this morning we gather to worship the Father for his forgiveness that is our redemption. I love that we've gathered to praise the Son for his sacrifice that is our salvation. I love that we gather to thank the Spirit for the power to not only empower Jesus through his life, but to be with Jesus through his death and then to raise him on that third day for our transformation. I love that we are here because he was not there. Amen. I love that we are here to celebrate because our Savior is indeed risen. We serve the risen Lord. We are here. But who is this we? It's a we that's beautiful because it goes across time. It is every Bible-believing or every or Yahweh-believing or every Jesus-believing person who's ever existed. It is the we of the thousand, last couple thousand years. It's the we that's also across place. I love that this morning already has been celebrated in Asia, already has been celebrated in Africa, already has been celebrated in parts of South America. It's just now hitting us here in the West that we are celebrating that Christ is risen who is this we it's also a we that not just goes across time across place but even our emotional states because there's a lot of us who are just sitting here this morning and we come with our doubts we come with our despair we come in our darkness we come trying to find the hope but God still has a seat for us there's still a place for us here too Because this morning, God takes our fears, takes our cares, and still wants us to know that Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. This we that has come has come to celebrate what the early Christians called ictus, right? Or that little fish that some of us still put on our t-shirts and bumper stickers, right? In that little acronym, it was a way in a society where to say the name of Christ was to be killed, a society and a place that still most of the majority of Christians still live in to this day. In a way, they needed to identify sister and brother, but also safety and earthly salvation. So they put a fish together to say, we serve the one who saves the savior of the world. Amen. We serve the fisher of all mankind. Amen. But in that ichthys they said, Jesus Christ, son of God, because he is indeed our Lord. He is indeed the Messiah. The old people used to tell me when I grew up, he's the author and finisher of our faith. And I got a little bit older and the NIV said the the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. I said, hold on. I like alliteration, but I like author and finisher a lot better. But you know, this morning I was thinking about not just the name we call Jesus, not just the name we've called them for thousands of years. Not just the name that we call him across nations, across continents, across time, across place, but one of the earliest names of this Messiah to come. The prophet Isaiah looks forward to Jesus coming and he calls him the suffering servant. And there's four times in Isaiah, four different passages, right? Some people think they're poems from the prophet. Some of us think it's songs from the prophet. But in these four times, in chapters 42, 49, 50, and the famous one at the end of 52 that goes into 53, he cites the suffering servant. In chapter 42, he talks about how the servant has been chosen by God, empowered by the spirit, and has come to bring God's justice, not by bark, not by might, but through the laying down of his life. In chapter 49, we find out that the servant's not just chosen, but he's called and readied for the work. And even though it looks like failure, he comes not just for Israel, not just for the Gentiles, but for all the world, for the ends of the earth. Then you get to chapter 50, and Isaiah calls him the chosen, the called, the committed, that he came knowing he had to die. That he came knowing he would suffer. That he came not by his power, but again by the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of God. And then you get to Isaiah 52, perhaps the most famous part of the chapter. And this is what the prophet writes. See, my servant will act wisely. See, my servant will prosper. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted, just as there were many who were appalled at him. His appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being and his form marred beyond any human likeness. So he will sprinkle or bless many nations. They will be amazed by him. And kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what were they not told, they will see. And what they have not heard, they will understand. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He took upon our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression, through arrest and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of his generation, who of his people protested? For he was cut off the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for our sin, he will see his offspring. He will prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. Praise the Lord. Praise our God. Praise the one who came. Praise the one who lived. Praise the one who died. Praise the one who knew that he would go three days in the tomb. But praise God, our king is alive. Amen? Our Father our God we thank you this morning that we gathered as a collective we A collective weed as a part of your body Lord Jesus Christ a collective weed that spans thousands of years continents and generations and peoples who've come all to say he is indeed resin we thank you for this chance to worship together to let our songs go up to let our thoughts go up to let our words go up and yes Lord to even give our lives up to you we worship you with all of our being thankful that you're not just the living Savior of the world You're the living Savior of us. You're the living Savior of me. So we gather to praise. We gather to thank you. We gather to celebrate you. For you have invited us into the story. By giving up your body. By being broken. By being beaten. By being stricken. With your stripes we have indeed been healed. So Holy Spirit we pray that you be with us now. As we walk through this holy week. Until this resurrection day, as we walk through these scriptures, until Christ comes, as we go through this life, knowing that whether we're at Gethsemane's Garden, or Silent Saturday, or an empty tomb, that the work has been finished, that the work is done, that Christ has come, that Christ has died, but praise you, God our Father, Christ is indeed alive. Amen? If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 24. I'll be reading the very first 12 verses. We'll have it up front so you can follow there as well. Luke 24, Luke writes this. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. When they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. When they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, still wondering to himself what had happened. This morning, we're here to go back to the empty tomb. Last week, I shared how the early Christians, the first Christians, celebrated not the cross, Not the instrument of death and destruction, but they celebrated the empty tomb. To them, it mattered that the one who died is the one who's alive. It mattered to them that not only did he take on our sin, take on our suffering, but he conquered it. The victory that he afforded them was a victory they could stand in, so they went to the empty tomb. But before we get to the tomb, it's important that we tell the story. Pastor Michelle Higgins says this. What happens when we avoid parts of the story is we forget our story. We try to change our story, and brothers and sisters, we end up believing a lie. Now, I'm not bold enough to say if you only remember the cross, you're believing a lie. But I am here to tell you that if you only remember part of the story, you're missing the whole story and you're lying to yourself. Because the salvation that Jesus brought is a salvation for all peoples, it's a salvation that transcends all things. And it's not just about him dying. Praise the Lord. It's not just about him suffering, praise the Lord. It's not just about him being broken, praise the Lord. It's about him dying, going down to the depths of hell, raising on the third day, coming back, and saying, I will come back for you. We serve a risen Savior. And even when we look at this Holy Week, it's important that we actually walk through the Holy Week. So we start with Palm Sunday where Jesus arrives as king with millions of Yahweh believers in town, with a bounty on his head, with everyone wanting something more from him but the one thing he came for, with disciples that loved him but didn't see what he came for, with people that lived with him and walked with him and breathed with him and ate with him for three years not even able to hold on with him predicting what's gonna happen and them still not being able to see, yet he still comes. And in between entering as not just Israel's Messiah and king, but the prince of peace and the king of the world, he walks into this final act to be betrayed, to be hunted, to be arrested, to be beaten, to suffer, to be crucified. But between entering as the king and between being condemned and pushed out of Jerusalem as a king, as a criminal, the Lord Jesus Christ tells us a story. And the story is that the God of this world, the king was willing to be a suffering servant for you. Amen. And after he walks in, he has the last supper. And every now and then we have Communion. Let it not be lost upon you that every time you partake in communion, you're not just doing something that Jesus promised or Jesus asked you to do. You're accepting the entrance as member of this body, and you're doing something that Jesus promises he will not do again until he comes back. Think about that for a second. Every single time you break your gluten-free wafer and you drink your little grape juice, that Jesus is silently, patiently working on heaven until it's perfect for you so that he can partake in the same supper. And what a last supper it was. You see, so many times in the Gospels, people were prepared, people were ready, they ate, but it was still at that last supper that the king of all kings washed the feet of the disciples not just to show the sacrificial love we are to live by but to remind them that to follow him is to follow into obedience not to go to the high places but be willing to go to the low places not to be up front but to be willing to be in the back not to praise ourselves but to do the work that's never seen the work that's never appreciated but praise God the work that's needed and this same king who loves us and loved those disciples, it gets to be betrayed by the disciples. And the betrayal is not just from Judas. The betrayal comes when the attack comes. When, when the, the whole army is gathered around him and that garrison shows up and the prince of peace who lived by peace and who called them to peace, somehow Peter missed that peace. And he cuts off a piece. <laughs> but yet and still, our Jesus is still focused on the mission. But don't you love that God can be focused on the mission and not forget you? Isn't Malchus happy that Jesus didn't say, you know what? <laughs> Sorry about the ear. I got to go die. <laughs> that Jesus is so focused on the mission and, and so not holding on to the betrayal that even in his betrayal, he washes Judas's feet. He restores Peter and tells him, hey, this is going to happen, but I still love you. He goes to Gethsemane and he, he submits himself to the authorities. But before he heals Malchus's ear and then he's deserted. He's deserted by his own. The thing about betrayal is we can't be betrayed by those who don't know us. We can't be betrayed unless we love you and we open up the door and allow you in. Right? If you just see someone walking down the street, it's hard for that person to betray you. Betrayal often happens to those who are closest to us. And some would argue that's the only way it can actually happen. And so when you see Jesus weeping at the end of of Palm Sunday, when he looks at Jerusalem, you're reminded of the times that Jesus cries. It's not because he's not able, but it's because he knows it won't be enough. How powerful it is that the God of the universe who's going to do everything and give everything and die for us still knows that because it comes down to our faith, it may not be enough. And that causes Jesus to weep. But he gets to Gethsemane and he learns again that it's not about what I will, but what the Father wills. I talk about this often when I think of Gethsemane. You know, I never understood why people get nervous on their wedding day. Like hopefully y'all met before the last 24 hours. <laughs> like like hopefully you've made this decision together. Like hopefully you're on the same page. You know, you're ready to start this life together. But people still get nervous. And I think a little part of the reason is because on your wedding day, it's not just about the dream, it's about the reality. It's not just about the commitment, it's that every day I'm with you. It's I'm gonna wake up next to you even with crust in your eyes. Yes, Lord, I love you, honey. <laughs> But on your wedding day, you feel that, and until you accept, and until you say, this is what God wants, this is what she wants, this is what I want, this is what God has built for us, until you accept your destiny, you're not going to be at peace. And I think Gethsemane is one of the most human places we ever see Jesus. When he walks on water, he's God. When he heals the blind, he's God. When he raises people from the dead, he's God. Yes, he's fully man, but he's God. But when he goes to Gethsemane and says, God, my father, are you sure? Is there any other way? I know my whole life, you know, for eternity we've been talking about this. You know, I know for for 30 years I waited and and for three years I preached and, and I even told them last week I need to do this, but are you sure? And if Jesus can ask God, are you sure? How much more comfortable should you be with your doubt? If God can hold on to the doubt of Jesus saying, are you sure? Don't you think God can hold on to you too? Yeah. And the spirit comes down and the angels empower him and it goes and he sees it. That is not my will, but your will be done. Again, teaching us to obedience to the father, submission to the spirit. And that's how we get the job done. Yet on the cross, we see again our Jesus become the least of these. A lot of us know that familiar passage, right? At the end of the time when he celebrates or uh, separates the sheep and the ghost, right? And for a lot of us, that's a life verse. This is why I serve the least of these. And a couple of years ago, when it dawned upon me that Jesus isn't just preaching a great analogy, he's not just preaching a great metaphor. He's not just saying, like, imagine the least of these. When we go through the very next chapters and we see Jesus on the cross, we realize that the Savior of the world becomes the least of these, That Jesus was hungry on the cross, but his body was the only bread. That Jesus was thirsty on the cross, and all they gave him was wine mixed with gold, and and they mocked him for their relief, not his. That Jesus was a child of God, a child of Israel, the Messiah, the one in the own land that was promised to the people of Israel, yet he's pushed out of the city. Golgotha, Calvary, does not happen in Jerusalem that Jesus in the city of David, his forefather, the city of David, Jerusalem, that he promised to the people of God is pushed out and treated like a stranger. They didn't kill their own citizens this way, which makes you wonder why we kill our same citizens, but that's another conversation. They didn't kill their own this way. Only the strangers And the convicted felons and the convicted criminals, they killed this way. And a lot of us who grew up in church, we get the sanitized version of the cross. But one of the things that struck me in the last couple of years is it is quite possible that the God of the universe up on that tree was very much naked. Maybe a cloth, maybe a loincloth. We think about the humiliation that Jesus suffered for our sake Let's not just keep it up here. Let's not just say, like, well, he died for our sins. But the God of the universe became debased, became humiliated, suffered and died, went through the worst punishment known that day and time, a punishment desired to make him suffer even more. Yet he was obedient even unto death. He was sick from those beatings. He was imprisoned by the Roman soldiers. Our God Jesus suffers this awful humiliation. They dress him up like a fake king. They knelt before him sarcastically. They beat him with a made-up scepter. They even taunted him and says, Show your power and come down. And as a kid, I thought to myself, he should have came down. This would have solved everything. (laughs) Right? Like it's just like, I know he needs to die, but like, don't you think it would have solved a lot more? But it wouldn't have what he promised to do was to die what he chose to do was to be humiliated what Jesus came to do was to sacrifice himself so this naked this bruised this broken this bleeding savior is the one who dies for us and Jesus is not alone on the cross amen The same spirit that empowered him to do the miracles. The same spirit that taught him how to live or or showed him how to live in a way to please God. The same spirit that lived inside of him. It's the spirit that empowered him to suffer those humiliations. And I shared this a couple years ago because I love it. And in the suffering, he's singing. Now, I don't plan on being crucified. I don't plan on suffering and dying. But years ago, I had these things they called coaches. Coaches who were really just torture merchants. And they would do fun things like, let's just run until your your hearts burn on fire, right? Let's just get you lost in the middle of Grantham and say, black boy, good luck, find your way to Grantham. (laughs) Fun stuff they did to us, fun stuff. But I know that in my moments of greatest suffering, I tend to sing a song. I know that in my moments of of greatest physical exhaustion, I tend to sing a song. And I like to think that when he's dying on Calvary Street, he's not just saying, my God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? He's singing the song of Psalm 22. And that's a song that ends not just with God turning your back on Jesus or God forsaking Jesus, but that's a song that ends and says, yes, you will die, but you will die for the world. You will die to bring in the nations, the kingdoms, the peoples. You will die to bring forth my new kingdom. Aren't we glad this morning that heaven comes to earth to birth the kingdom? Aren't we glad this morning that Jesus suffered and died and sung those songs? Not because God forsake him and just poured wrath on him. But that God suffered what we could never bear. That Jesus died the death that belonged to us. That the salvation of our souls was dependent on his obedience. And then after Gethsemane, you get something that that theologians and historians, especially recently, have started calling Silent Saturday. It's not something I did well with. I like the the story of Gethsemane. I like the story of Good Friday. I felt redeemed and set free. And then I like to jump over and get to Easter Sunday morning. (laughs) But we must never forget that there was a silent Sunday in between. We must never forget that he went down to the depths for us. We must never forget that Jesus is able to hold any despair that we feel, any disappointment that we feel, any darkness that plagues us, any death that's inside of us, or death that we've experienced. Jesus is able to hold that because on Silent Saturday, Jesus was holding all of that for the disciples because they thought the battle was over. They forgot what he had said. And they said, man, all this thing we fought for, we believe it has all died. And there's no despair, like maybe betrayal, but there's also no despair, like when everything you've worked for collapses in front of you. These disciples had no hope. They had no dreams. They had no, they had no memory of what Jesus had promised. And so this morning, I want to at least acknowledge that there's some of us here who are ready to scream out, Christ is risen, Christ is risen, indeed. But there's also a lot of us who are still on silent Saturday (laughs) because life is still hard, because we're so fighting off the despair, because the anguish still lives inside of us, because grief never relents. You know, a couple of days ago, I turned 40 years old, And and, and I I share that. I share that not because I, it's going to make you depressed in a second. Don't worry, I got you. And I've never been one for big birthdays, right? And and so everyone's like, yeah, 40. And every time they said, yeah, 40, I automatically went to, yes, another year that my father never saw. Another year that he never lived. Another day that I never knew him. So we come on Easter, on Resurrection Sunday, still holding on to Silent Saturday because grief doesn't leave us. Pain doesn't just go away. But I want us to know that even in the despair and whatever your despair is this morning, whatever your disillusionment is this morning, wherever the darkness is this morning, God can hold you because Jesus held it and God held it until Sunday morning. Sunday morning is always coming. Sunday morning is always coming. Three days in the grave. All they saw was despair and darkness and disappointment and death. Three days in the grave. And all they could do was take their eyes off Jesus, forget what he promised, and look down on themselves and say, Woe is me! Woe is us! What we believed have fell short. What we held on to may not be true. Jesus has left us forever. Three days in the grave, and they might be asking, like some of you are asking this morning, where is God in this? Yes. But praise God for faithful women, amen? amen. <laughs> I don't think y'all really believe that. <laughs> praise God for faithful women, amen? amen? Because I don't know about you, but every time I read through this story, I see the men running and the women staying. If you take them to the cross, if you take them to Gethsemane like we just were, I see the men falling asleep and calling it prayer. And I see Jesus saying, come on, y'all, please? Like, really? And when we go to the cross, I, I see the men running away. And maybe the teenager, you know, John was probably young. So the young adults, some of you, maybe one of you men, stayed but it's the women who stayed at the foot of the cross. And on Sunday morning, in spite of the despair, in spite of the disappointment, in spite of death itself, and even though they may not have fully gotten it, you know what they did? They got up early that morning, and they went to the tomb. A reminder to us that no matter what we've taken on, no matter what's pushing us under, you got to get up. You got to get up. You gotta get up. And I love that these women, they go to the tomb, right? And they go. They go. Remember, they didn't go expecting a risen savior. They just go to do what God had not just got I don't even say that way. It's not just that they went to do what God called them to do. They went to do what needed to be done. Aren't you grateful for the women in your life who did what needed to be done? because this week I also give praise to God for my grandmother who did what needed to be done and got me out of that country. Amen. I also give thanks to my mother who paid that sacrifice and sacrificed 10 years of her life without me so that I can be free. Yes. I also give thanks to my mother, my other mother, I don't even know, Amelia who raised me, not just as her own, but as her own. I give thanks that my kids call her grandma, too. I give thanks for the women who do what needed to be done, and that's why they went to the cross. That's why they went to the tomb. And when they get there, they think that darkness had won. But here's something we're going to be talking about in the next couple of weeks, right? It is the darkest of night, and in the darkest of night, we're closer to the light. When the darkness begins, the morning's still here. But as it gets darker and darker and darker, we move closer and closer to the light. Yes. Right and in the night, they just assume someone had stolen the body. They assume that Jesus had, had been stolen away from them. And then the angels show up. He is risen, he is not here, just like he said. And what's fascinating to me is that God's presence is often the present that we have. But it's hard for us because we can't hold on to. Author Madeline Fine said this, The present is all we have, yet it is one thing we will never learn to hold in our hands. And what they thought they missed was God's presence because they couldn't see the body. What they thought they missed was something terrible that happened that they couldn't explain. And so Mary, Magdalene and Joanna and Mary and James and the others, these faithful women who were at the cross, who were at the tomb, who were dutiful to go and anoint and rinse and and, and put spices on the body. When they hear, he has risen, just as he said, they believe. And then they go back and tell everybody else. And sometimes we gloss over this point, right? We gloss over to the scriptures, literally tell us that the disciples of Jesus did not believe. They were living in a culture very different than ours, right? We listen to women now. We do, right? Like, we, like, when women say, we're like, yes! We can't, we even like women pastors too, don't we, right? Like, we just, we just, we're so far ahead of where they were. But I saw an article this week, and it kind of explained the, the, first, the first century Jewish thinking, right? From the Talmud, you'll read things like this. Sooner, let the words of the law be burnt than delivered to women. You think about how deep that is? If the word of the Torah touched the ground, the rabbi would have to fast for 40 days. If it touched the ground, they would fast for 40 days. But if God gives a word to a woman, you might as well burn it. Or or somewhere else in the Talmud, it says this. Any evidence which a woman gives is not valid to offer. This is equivalent to saying that that one who is rabbinically, or we would say biblically, rabbinically accounted, a robber is qualified to give the same evidence as a woman. I want you all to hold how deep this was. It wasn't just, oh, they're women we didn't listen to, but that's that culture. This was embedded in their thinking. And it tells us how much society and culture can formulate our thinking, our actions, our doing, even if God is right in front of us. And it wasn't just the rabbis, right? Josephus, who's one of the few from antiquity that we have words that he said, this is how he put it. But let not the testimony of women be admitted. Why? On account of the levity and boldness of their sex, since it is probable that they may not speak the truth. Either out of hope, of gain, or or fear of punishment. Because only women might be emotional. Only women might not say the truth. This is what the world they lived in. And so even with the evidence of these brave sisters, the testimony and witness of these brave sisters, they still did not listen. Even Peter, the man of action, was just like, I don't believe y'all, I'm going to go check it out. One of my favorite writers um, I found recently is Dolores Williams, and she said it like this, faith hard one has taught me how to value the gains and losses, the standoffs and the victories in my life. Many times the painful moments would not have been healed were it not for the road I traveled to faith, learning to trust the righteousness of God in spite of trouble and injustice. Aren't you glad they traveled that road? Aren't you glad this morning that those women traveled that road? Aren't you glad that even though the men that they worshiped with and and ministered with and, and lived with didn't believe their testimony, yet and still they believed. Aren't you glad this morning that it wasn't about the faith of the men, but the faith of the women that first proclaimed the message of Jesus is risen. He's risen indeed. And this all matters. And Zaki, another missionary and scholar, said it this way, if we are heard, then we can heal. And I thought about that as I think about the, 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 what we do with this story of Jesus. Are we making room to let others tell the story? Who are we choosing to listen to or not listen to? Because hearing brings healing. And there's enough of our sisters in this faith for thousands of years who've tried to tell the same story and we've tried to take it away from them. But praise God that God loves women more than we as men do. Praise God that God values women more than we as men do. Praise God that we serve a God who says everyone has a voice. Everyone has a story. And when I'm serious about what I want to teach you, I'm not choosing you dudes because you don't listen. I'm going to go to the women because they get it done. (laughs) Resurrection matters. Resurrection matters for so many reasons. It's why all the Gospels tell the story of Jesus being raised from the dead. It's it's why that Jesus time and time again in the Gospel predicts his own death and resurrection. It's why in the story, God depended and not only gifted it to women to be the human voices of it, but he also sent angels. Next time you read through the story, see how many times the angels show up. That even heaven knows not only what's going on, but God invites them to participate, to build the case, to tell the story. Resurrection matters because, again, if these disciples were going to make this up, they would not be dependent on the testimony of women in a culture that didn't value or think women should ever have a voice. Yet God says, you know what, if that's the lowest among you, that's who's going to shout my name the highest. The Resentful Matters because sin and death de- defeated. Sin and death have been defeated. The Resentful Matters because the victory that Jesus won is the victory that we can know resurrection matters because for 40 days after he's resurrected the scriptures tell us that he met over 500 people at the time of the earliest scriptures some were still living reminding us that those who've lived the gray hairs among us we ought to be sitting at their feet and learning something because they may have seen more than we've ever will see resurrection matters look at the transformation of the disciples not just the women at the cross but some of these men too. Peter goes from running and not believing to being an early leader of the church. Saul goes from from killing Christians to Paul who writes nearly half the New Testament. Time and time again. And not to mention, most of these men were supported by women. That's another talk. Resurrection matters. Because when you look in this story, look at the reaction of the opposition, right? Like, like, Rome never questions that he's resurrected. They're like, can we pay you to lie about it? That's their reaction. Resurrection matters because look around this room. And after you get done looking around, I want you to close your eyes and think about a Christian you know in another country. And after you do that, I want you to close your eyes harder and think about a Christian you know who's lived on. And then after you've done that, I want you to close your eyes and think a little harder and think about a Christian you know who will come. Resurrection matters to all of us to the ones who've come before, to the ones who will come, to the ones who are here, to the ones who are there. Praise God, he is not there, he is risen. And we, the church, are the fruit of that resurrection. Resurrection matters because hopefully on this day you can do some thinking on yourself and think about how God has transformed you. I praise God I saw 40 years, not because I never thought I would see 40, but because at 40 years old, I'm closer to God than I've ever been. And I don't say that to toot my own horn. I say that because God has transformed me. And all of us who are following God can say the same thing. Whether you're 79 or 39 or 19 or 5 or 17 or 37, God transforms you. That's the work of resurrection. So the question becomes for us, if Jesus is alive, is he alive in you? If this resurrection life is for all of us, who are you telling the story to? If these women were bold enough to tell the story when no one would listen, how much more should you tell the story? Because people will listen to you way more than they ever listened to them. If death, And defeat if death and despair and darkness has been defeated if the job has been done if victory has been won how are you walking in light of that victory so we say happy Easter or or, happy resurrection day but if Jesus is truly alive why are we living like we're dead if Jesus is truly alive why are we still looking for him among the dead? If Jesus is truly alive, why are we not letting heaven and earth come together to give birth to God's kingdom? Amen? Amen. I'd like to invite up the worship team. We're going to close with our final song. Um, as always, we'll, we'll be up front. Uh, Any other pastors in the room will be up front. We'd love to pray for you. Maybe you want to react to something in the service. Or maybe this is, this is a time you want to take by yourself and say, God, you know what? I want to rededicate my life to you today. Or maybe you've never made that decision, right? You've never made that decision and say, Jesus, you are my Lord. You are my Savior. I want to give my life to you. Take the time to do that. But as we sing this song, I want us to think of resurrection, not just as what Christ did, but as what God does. Not just as what happened, but what's still happening. Because Jesus is alive. And because Jesus is alive, you can be too. And if you're alive, do you look like you're living or do you look like the dead? Let's stand and sing together.
1: Salted
0: Michelle Higgins earlier, she's um, a young millennial pastor who I I very much appreciate. And so our benediction comes from her. I heard her um, share this a couple years ago and I was like, you know what, that's good, we're taking it, right? Because there's no genius, nothing new under the sun, we just recycle it, right? Um, But she said this, and I pray that this is our power as we go, this is our prayer as we go. Lord Jesus, our Christ, send the power of your resurrection as a shield that restores our hope. As an epistle that edifies the body, let the news of your life drive out death. Let the news of your death bring us to new life. Let the news of your resurrection be a message of love that drives out fear. Amen? Christ is risen. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. God bless you all.